This Week in HPC. IBM powers up new servers. And India joins the Petaflop Club. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. This Week in HPC is available on our website, on iTunes, Stitcher, and through our media partnership with Top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. Well, Michael, we're back together this week after I did a solo podcast last week. I was at the IBM Edge Conference, but it's good to be talking to you again here. Yeah, it's good to be talking to you, and welcome back to the States. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, while I was at IBM Edge, I spent a lot of time in the solo podcast I did last week in HPC, but talking about the the platform middleware and the IBM Spectrum storage. But uh, not to be lost in all the news, we should mention, we should go back and get the fact that IBM did launch some new power servers last week. Yeah, they announced these new servers as, like you said, part of the Edge conference. They announced a lot of stuff there, so this maybe got a little lost in some of the some of the stories that were coming out. But uh, some sort of interesting servers. They're they're basically going to go up against the Intel-based servers with uh, the latest, you know, four socket and above chips, the E7 uh, 4800 V3 Xeon processors. So they're they they want to go head to head with uh, those enterprise servers uh, for uh, that are being targeted for. Linux uh, work, and so they've come up with two sets: the Power E880, which is the uh, the big one. That that scales up to like 16 terabytes of memory, 128 cores, and then the, the smaller four-socket version, which goes up to 48 cores and a couple of terabytes of memory. These are the big memory machines. Again, uh, going up against the. Uh, the big memory machines on the Intel side. Now, if you read the IBM press release about these, they're pretty clear in the press release that they're targeting cloud environments, hybrid cloud environments especially, and they couple it with the spectrum storage and a lot of the platform middleware. But you and others, Michael, have looked at this and said it's clear that this is broader than just a cloud kind of deployment. Yeah, these are going to be for applications that want uh, a lot of memory. In, in memory database processing, data analytics of all sorts, you know, that in-memory. And then, uh, you know, in HPC, there's just some big memory applications that uh, you need fat nodes or some other large memory footprint to do at least some of your work. And so there's the attraction there. But uh, for cloud infrastructure, yeah, maybe, but uh, not the primary use case, I would think, for these big memory machines. Yeah, and in fact, Tim Prickett Morgan, writing over at the platform, does an excellent job in pointing out that big memory used to be associated with very large SMP machines, but that was you know, before the era of multi-core. Now to go to these four-socket, eight-socket machines with all those cores, you configure in a lot of memory, and that's the new kind of big memory configuration that we see in the market. And we, as you point out, we do see a lot of uptake for those in analytics and database kinds of markets. Right. And the other thing Tim points out, sort of interesting on the on the four-socket versions, the, the 850s, um, they have, IBM has something called a capacity-on-demand feature, where you can sort of buy cores and, and memory in increments and just pay for those. And then if you want more as your, as your workloads change, you can basically buy more. I mean, you've got all the hardware there, obviously, but you can turn them off and on and then pay less, uh, depending upon what you're using, sort of a hardware licensing scheme. Uh, I 
think this is basically to get customers interested if they just want to start out with uh, some some lesser infrastructure to get going on these things and to get in, into a price point that uh, they can it's a little easier to swallow and then they can sort of scale up as needed it's a, sort of an interesting model there as you pointed out this is clearly going up directly against the Intel uh, Xeon quad core uh, systems or nodes and uh, you know one thing IBM has not been shy about in general uh, but also at edge specifically is, is going up against Intel. I, it's been a recurring theme that we've talked about that kept heating up, and, and now it, it's really gone full bore where IBM is really trying to engage Intel quite directly uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, and here it looks like uh, they're they're going to have to compete on price, which I think is going to be their big challenge here. I mean, they're they're claiming a little more performance, five or ten percent, um, better uh, memory bandwidth because they have a, a fourth level of cache, that sort of thing. Um, but it does look like it's an order of magnitude greater performance than their competition. So they're going to have to have some parity on on price against the Xeon-based machines. I mean, those those well, machines not quite parity. I mean, you're pointing out some areas where they have an advantage. So right. maybe these maybe these are worth a five or ten or twenty percent premium. Right. But if you're going to try and convert x86 customers into into power customers, I, I think you need you need some good incentives there. I mean, they're Power 7-based systems that are now kind of old. I think those customers are sort of built in. They're, they're, they're tied to, the, to that line a little bit. But if they want to expand into Intel's market, uh, I think they're going to have to compete pretty effectively on price to get into that, uh, that area. You know, I'm not sure how much I agree with that, though, because IBM is really trying to shift the argument in general where the processor performance itself or the cost per processor is not the main uh, selling point that they're trying to discuss in the overall workflow of this data-centric computing vision. I think as long as they're in there and they're close, it succeeds in shifting the argument to something else if you're IBM. They're it's not that they they don't want to be uh, close, but they just don't want it to all be about dollars per flop. Right, not dollars per flop, but I mean you have to right you have to look at the applications now. Maybe there's some applications that are, could perform a lot better on these machines, and that's sort of maybe some of the low hanging fruit for IBM. But uh, I th I think in general they're going to have to get into uh, Intel or. The turret, not of Intel, but of, of the competitors like HP and Dell and other people selling these uh, these types of machines as far as as far as pricing. Now, one thing I did talk about last week uh, coming out of Edge was momentum around open power. Obviously, these systems go along with that. You've got new platforms. But one other unrelated piece of news that's nevertheless noteworthy is that Sumit Gupta is, uh, has left NVIDIA and is joining the power server team at IBM. I think that's a big hire for Big Blue. That is. And it's, it's uh, a little bit of a surprise. I mean, Sumit's been there for, for several years had a very big profile there and now from you know making the segue to IBM it's 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 sort of a a natural segue since they were tied very closely to some of IBM's 
uh, technologies over the past couple of years. So a uh, very interesting move for Summit. And, uh, you know, we wish him the best of luck there. Absolutely. He's someone whose career I've admired ever since he became the so-called acting general manager of that division at NVIDIA. And, you know, they, they were looking for, for who it would be in the full time and they couldn't find anybody who would do a better job than Summit was already doing. And right. uh, he had a, a great, very successful uh, couple of years there at NVIDIA. And we're looking forward to seeing how he does with uh, IBM Power Systems. All right, Michael, uh, speaking of powerful systems, we'll shift over to a different vendor a little bit, but uh, we, we got another new member of the Petaflop Club. Yeah, India. India has uh, has had a number of you know hundreds of teraflop systems on the top 500 list, but now they've uh, they've installed a Cray XC40 system that's going to top out at 1.4 petaflops. I think that's the that's the peak, but it's by far the biggest system now in India and uh, certainly the most modern. Now this is a, a Cray uh, XC40 supercomputer going into the Supercomputing Education and Research Center (SERC) which is at the Indian Institute of Science, IISC, in Bangalore. And I'm going from notes here to remember the exact name of the site because I have to confess, Michael, I hadn't heard of this site before. If I had, I certainly didn't remember them. Yeah, I don't think, they, I don't think they've been in the news lately. The, the last supercomputer they bought, the last big one, was an IBM Blue Gene L. So that was uh, at least 10 years ago. And this is, looks like right. their, their first big system since then. In the interim, they've been buying some smaller clusters, you know, 5, 10, 12, 18 nodes. But uh, this is their first big system in, in a decade, it looks like. Right. We had to go look it up because we weren't familiar with this site. That doesn't happen to the two of us as a pair very often. We're generally pretty aware of uh, supercomputing users around the globe. But 10 years ago, I would have been pretty new as an analyst. Uh, and uh, I don't even know if you were the editor yet at HPC Wire no. by then. So, uh, you know, we could maybe be excused for not remembering that installation. But that would have been a, uh, a Blue Gene L of about 23 teraflops total, which would have been a, a nice enough size at the time. But to go from that to 1.4 petaflops is about a 600x increase in uh, capacity or capability. Capability all in one gulp. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a long refresh cycle that's for sure. Um, uh, the interesting thing about this system, or one of the interesting things, not just the size, is it's going to be equipped with both Xeon Phi's and Tesla GPUs. Um, they've got some experience with both, since some of their smaller cluster systems have one or the other in them. Um, but this is the first system, and certainly the first big system they have with with both accelerator technologies, or both, uh, yeah, both of these accelerator technologies in it. And they didn't really go into how they were going to use that or what they were going to do. But it's a it's a real hybrid hybrid system. <laughs> that is interesting, and I think this is going to be a great case study because what I want to do is come back to this in a year, and I want to look at after 12 months, what are the nodes that are getting the most utilization? Is it the Xeon? the Xeon Fives or the, or the GPU accelerators. I want to see, uh, you know, where they accelerate the most science, where do they have their codes going. They, you noted that they do have some experience with right. each of these architectures, but not at this level of scale. I want to see how this goes forward. Yeah, presumably they have, since they have those those smaller cluster systems, they have some codes that are targeted for each of them. But yeah, it would be interesting to see what their usage model would be on, on this big system now. 
And you gave one interesting thing about this announcement. I'll give you another uh, interesting thing, at least it was interesting to me, it came to my attention, is that the storage for this is going to be from DDN. They've got two petabytes of uh, DDN high-performance storage. Now, DDN, first of all, is uh, we're, we're about to reveal our new storage report coming out, but they, uh, they won the survey results this time around. We have more DDN mentions in our site census survey uh, uh, coming out in our new storage report than any other vendor. But more notably, with it being next to a Cray system, uh, you know, Cray is normally most of the time going to pull in its own Synexi online uh, through its partnership with uh, Seagate. They do a, a lot of reselling of that Xyrotex cluster store under the Synexi online. Uh, here you get DDN get, uh, winning it as a separate storage evaluation. I think that's got to be a nice win for DDN. Yeah. Well, I mean, notice that this, this center from looking at all the stuff they bought over the over the last 10 years, they don't really don't have any loyalty for any particular vendor or even uh, CPU or GPU or anything. They've they've bought a little bit of from everybody. They've got stuff from from Dell and Supermicro and HP and Fujitsu and of course from IBM and now Cray, which is their first Cray buy. And they've even got some SGI equipment. They've bought yep. Xeons. They bought Opterons. I mean, yeah, DDN. They they don't. They're, give me the special of the day. What looks good today? <laughs> right. Exactly. Right? So yeah, the, I don't want to see was, a menu. I want to know what's the special. Right. So a little bit of everything for this uh, this center, but yeah, interesting. Uh Interesting system, and at a place like you said, neither of us were familiar. But yeah, India, India is now part of the Petaflop Club. Well, maybe we'll get a chance to visit, Michael. Uh, yeah. That'd be great. I, I I love seeing new sites. Uh, maybe we'll see them at ISC, which is not too far away now. We're yeah. about two months out from the International Supercomputing Conference, and uh, always nice to catch up on all that. Well, Michael, thanks for putting together those news stories. I'm really glad to be back doing a joint podcast with you again. It's nice to have somebody to talk to. <laughs> Great. Good to have you back, Addison. All right. Thanks, Michael. Talk to you again next week. Okay. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 